Honey, pause for a sec. How do they expect hologram lungs to do anything? Welcome to The Spinal Frontier, a podcast where we speculate as to why Star Trek aliens are the way they are. I'm Kelly, she, her. And I'm Aaron, they, them. Okay, so this episode was inspired by an episode of Voyager called Phage. I keep wanting to call it The Phage. The Phage. Where Neelix's lungs are stolen by a group of organ harvesters. In order to keep him alive while they prepared a donated lung for transplant, they hooked him up with a pair of holographic lungs in sickbay. Yeah, that confuses me. <laughs> Just because, I don't know, I, th- I feel like holographic technology is very wishy-washy sometimes in Star Trek. Uh, I mean, oh, under- understatement of the century. <laughs> but the delicacy of the way a humanoid, or at least human, lung works there's so much surface area there's so many tiny structures and tiny blood vessels and it's hooked up to your blood vessels right because lungs are for getting oxygen into your body and gas back out of your body like carbon dioxide so i don't know i I, I struggled a little bit because i was like i understand they can do the movement but i didn't realize that holograms were supposed to be able to do the chemical interaction (laughs) (laughs) I think Star Trek sometimes adopts the idea that the human body is just another kind of machine. Sure. So if you know... Hashtag Jet Reno. Right. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, Yeah. Jet Reno and her nightmare room. Nightmare emergency. She she did the best she could with the tools that she had. Yes. Anyways, so I think the conceit is that if you know exactly how the lungs work and what every part of them does you can recreate it in the way that you would any other machine. Theoretically, but there's such a tiny, like, cellular level detail that I don't know Mm -hmm. about. Like, I just just don't know. (laughs) I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So what kinds of structures within the lungs would they have to simulate? How detailed of a hologram are we talking here? Like, seriously, so fine. So the interior of your lungs is divided into smaller and smaller and smaller tubes, basically until it gets to something called an alveolus, which is kind of a little, it looks like a clump of grapes almost, but Mm -hmm. it's just kind of these little sacs that the air actually goes into. And these, their alveoli are wrapped in capillaries. So like one red blood cell thick blood vessels because it's all about surface area. It's all about maximum exposure to the oxygen to be able to pick it up. Uh, We talked about this a little bit in the blood episode too, of maximizing bringing oxygen into the body. So it's really just microscopic detail that they have to simulate. And I don't think that they're capable of that. I mean, it's not like they try and do it regularly. I think this was kind of a punt by the doctor, but still it's kind of crazy because and it's also just shocking that he was able to do that because neelix is just one of a bazillion humanoid species that you'd have to be able to keep track of and have the ability to recreate some structure that would work and be able to connect to the circulatory system and that i just have a lot of feelings about it there are a lot of neat breathing adaptations that different organisms have but i don't know that they knew enough about Neelix to be able to achieve that. I think the conceit was that they had a full body scan of him because he's logged as a member of the crew. Yeah. Well, speaking of breathing adaptations there that we do know about, because they don't really talk about anything weird about Neelix, but like in general, we've got a lot of different weird 
interesting things that organisms can do. I think the most obvious breathing differences that we see in Star Trek are the species that breathe different gases. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the Barzan? Remind us who that is and the Benzites, who who that is, if we're watching. Yeah, so the Barzan are, um, you might be familiar with Commander Nan from Discovery. And she has a... Like implants. Yeah, bre- like breather apparatus implanted in her in her cheeks near her mouth that allows her to breathe a different... Or breathe air. Yeah, breathe, yeah. I don't know if it allows her to breathe our air or if it just kind of like gases the correct atmosphere into her mouth or something <laughs> because that's what the that's what the benzites do and they're another another species introduced in the next generation and they're these kind of blue guys with barbels yeah, on their face and they have this apparatus that connects to their uniforms and comes up right in front of their mouth and it's like it's steamy yeah it's it's like a it's like a space vape a little bit and it yeah. just puffs clouds of the atmosphere they breathe in front of them we get it bro you vape <laughs> Uh, I was looking into, because we, we talked about Barzan blood mm-hmm. and how it is black and there is no respiratory pigment that is black. And there's just some kind of implication that the Barzan atmosphere is not hospitable for most other life, mm-hmm. I guess. And so whatever it is, it's implied that it's probably toxic mm-hmm. um, or at least doesn't contain the oxygen that most humanoids require. And benzites, I was I was trying to look up their blood, yeah. and it's not canon, but like in one book, they apparently bleed orange, and the protein that the blood is based on is, or the metalloprotein is mercury and platinum based. Oh, interesting. And I, I'm not a chemist, <laughs> but I feel like that falls apart a little bit because I'm not a chemist either. So. No, because <laughs> yeah, the mercury can can definitely bind with oxygen so i could see benzites i don't know i like i was wondering if benzites maybe they just need a much more because much more um humid environment because they're kind of barbely they're kind of almost fishy in their face catfish sort of yeah so um although like the barbels aren't for breathing purposes in fish but i don't know i was just curious if maybe it's just a wetness thing but i yeah, I, I don't understand how mercury and platinum interact with gases because our air is actually made of mostly nitrogen and mm-hmm. some oxygen. And so it, it takes some doing and that we're adapted to get all of the oxygen out of the air that we can because most of it is other inert gases like nitrogen and other things. So the the Sulaban from Enterprise also have, what, what did you call it, alveoli? Alveoli, yeah. Alveoli, that are genetically modified to process a lot of different types of atmosphere. Does that make any sense? We can talk about more about this someday when we talk about just genetically modified organisms mm-hmm. in in Trek, but like I don't know any organisms that use lungs to breathe anything that isn't like nitrogen, oxygen, air, maybe helium. We can talk about that too. But yeah, it's just, I can see why they would do it, but I don't know any organisms that would do it. And also if they possessed a lot of different kinds of stuff inside of their lungs, it's like not consistent. It's less efficient, right? We're Mm -hmm. we're talking about efficiency. You want to have the maximum capability in order to have the maximum amount of usable gas in your body. So 
Okay. Speaking of efficiency, they, in the show they say that Klingons have a lot more stamina than humans because they have a third lung. Is that Does that make any sense? Theoretically, yes, because being able to bring more oxygen into your lungs means putting more oxygen into your blood. Although it would have to, it depends on the blood volume too. You have to have enough hemoglobin, or I think Klingons we decided are also actually hemoglobin based, <laughs> iron based blood. Mm -hmm. But there's only so many places for oxygen to attach to respiratory pigments in our blood. So this is how athletes who are technically cheating can skate around the rules without actually doing drugs it, a lot of a lot of the the doping and the the different like shady practices involve being able to oxygenate tissues more efficiently when you're tired oh, so okay. what i've learned some athletes do is they take out some blood when they're at rest and mm -hmm. so their tissues are as oxygenated as possible so their blood is oxygenated and then they save that oxygenated blood until right before a competition and oh. then they put their their blood back inside of them so it's still their blood they have much more oxygenated blood than they would normally mm -hmm. and so their body can theoretically use it for some time but it's not a drug mm -hmm. but it's definitely a performance enhancement but not for very long and your body doesn't hold on to those for a long time like a red blood cell only lasts 120 days or so if it's healthy. Oh, okay. So there's that. There are other adaptations for being able to breathe in low oxygen. That That's why athletes train it at high altitude. There's a lot of athletes training in Colorado and New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And that's because pushing your body to work well at high altitude where there's less oxygen available theoretically makes it better at being athletic uh, at closer to the closer to sea level. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So there's an episode of Enterprise where the chief engineer, Trip recalls uh, one of his training missions where his EV pack froze up and caused nitrogen narcosis while mm. he was in an environmental suit. Mm -hmm. But that's a real thing that happens to divers. And as a diver with dive experience, can you tell us some more about that? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that air is actually mostly nitrogen gas. It's about 78% mm -hmm. nitrogen gas and like 21% oxygen, around about. There, like it can change a little bit. And there's also some other inert gases. And inert means it's like not interacting with your tissue. Oxygen is not inert; like it, it, mm -hmm. it gets picked up and moved around and does stuff in in your body. But but if you put your body under increased pressure, so it's around a hundred feet, so about thirty three meters for you uh, metric folks out there, and somewhere about that depth in water, the increased pressure in your body incorporate starts incorporating the nitrogen gas into your tissues, and Basically, it makes you drunk. There's different <laughs> silly names for nitrogen narcosis, like mm -hmm. the the narcs or uh, getting narked or rapture of the sea. Is one of my <laughs> <laughs> so so basically, you just you you make poor choices, and some of it is like oh ha ha, you kind of feel drunk, you, you feel mm -hmm. euphoric, but but also it can lead you to make poor decisions and get confused and lose your orientation, mm -hmm. and some people could die by and people have died by swimming deeper oh, wow. instead because they're like oh this feels great or oh i don't know where i'm going or whatever and so so it can lead to some more serious issues mm -hmm. but it's not like getting the bends which is air bubbles forming in your blood and giving you an embolism that's different a lot of the mechanisms behind nitrogen and also just inert gas narcosis 
is uh, not really known. They don't really understand the mechanism of that. But a lot of the danger in it is just uh, decision making, like making poor choices. Well, in the episode, Trip talks about having wanted to take his helmet off, mm-hmm. and uh, and his captain had to talk him down and tell, convince him that was a bad idea. Yeah, divers don't want to pull their re- mm-hmm. their regulators out the the thing that you know helps them breathe underwater. Yeah. They're just like we, <laughs> so that can be dangerous. And so a way to avoid that is that sometimes divers will dive with a mixture of helium and oxygen or sometimes straight up just helium in really really deep water so uh, i recommend you go find a video like go on youtube there are videos of like 300 400 foot tech divers breathing helium and they sound like chipmunks talking in their rebreathers it's hysterical before we move on to the second part do you have anything from sponsors today yeah, this episode is brought to you by A Briefing with Neelix, which airs every day on Voyager's Intership Communications Network. Covering the latest and greatest in Voyager news, its upcoming episode features a special segment with the doctor, Hints for Healthful Living, How to Keep Your Nostrils Happy. Make sure to stay tuned. All right, before we wrap up, it would be remiss if we didn't talk about the just parade of weird noses <laughs> that happen in Star Trek. Because, the, again... This is a running theme, like, it's very easy and fun to make really strange faces, Mm -hmm. and this is one aspect of the face that we have not yet discussed. A lot of the weird noses are weird tubes that kind of extend, like, for some reason they just love to have a nostril above an eye. Uh-huh. Like they like to, they like to have like the the Malcorians and the Alari have these. So Malcorians are the ones from TNG. That that's it's not the first contact movie. It's first contact episode. Yeah, yeah, where Riker tries to sneak in <laughs> and pretend like he's one of them, but like doesn't have the hands. But they have these these nostrils that kind of open up extra nostrils that open up kind of above on their forehead sinus area. Yeah. And then Ilari have t- more simple nostrils that kind of swirl up like little tube worms up mm-hmm. on their head. And they just glue drinking straws to these people's heads, <laughs> as far as I understand. I remember there was an episode of TNG where there's this lady with four arms playing a synthesizer in oh, one of that's... the clubs. And yeah. she had these, like, her nose was wild. It started above her eyes and ran down to just above her mouth. And there was a piercing throughout it. <gasps> Where it was like a metal ribbon that wound around in a helix through piercings in the nose down her face. It was it was trippy. That's very trippy. Yeah, I don't remember what species that is. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. But this also tells me why I wrote in the notes somewhere. We have a we have a master list, Mm. and I just have many arms question mark question mark question mark, and I don't know why I wrote that, but I think I do now. But for for all of the aliens out there that have the weird tubes with the weird nostrils on top of their forehead and also all of the actual whales that exist in this franchise that is an actual adaptation putting the nostrils for the for gas exchange at the very top of the head mm-hmm. which again you, you see this in marine mammals that always are in the water like whales and dolphins and such because it's hard to get out of the water. They don't want to like stick their whole head out or have to like stop swimming to breathe. Mm-hmm. And so it just is more convenient to put it at the part of the body that's conveniently at the very surface. So now I'm wondering what these other aliens are up to 
that they're putting their face somewhere. I'm like, are you foraging in mud? Are you swimming in water? Like, why do you have a snorkel? Why do you have a built-in snorkel? I did hear another another thing about a real-world animal that, that has an adaptation for breathing, and it's turtles. Oh. Is, it, is this true? Can they? Yes. So, so turtles, there are certain turtles certain turtles have an interesting adaptation where if they are in a very low oxygen environment, they don't have to use their lungs, they don't have to breathe through their nose. What they can do is they can use their cloaca, which is kind of a multifunctional organ at the back end where they it's used for excretion and reproduction, It's all, but it's all kind of one th- chamber. They can use that for gas exchange. That's so, wild. so if it, in a low oxygen environment, they can maintain some kind of oxygen intake in like mud or if they're frozen under ice, oh. not in ice, but like under, under a layer of ice, mm-hmm. they can they can extract oxygen from the environment using their cloaca, cloacal, wow. cloacal breathing, cloacal respiration, hmm. butt breathing. If you are a very hilarious undergrad, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so there's, there's certain evolutions of, or just kind of, there's movement of mm-hmm. different, the breathing holes are in different places on the body. And so we, we see that quite a bit in Star Trek aliens. I also, we would be remiss to not mention Nikki the nose if we're talking about weird noses. <laughs> yeah, this is a holodeck character in Dixon Hill, Captain Picard's favorite holodeck pastime. And he has a he has like a silver nose that he lights a match off the end of to 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 light his cigar. <laughs> this is a reference to Tycho Brahe, the Dutch astronomer, just a fascinating person. It's, he's widely billed as the most interesting man in the world. Didn't he lose his nose in a duel? Yes, and Archer talks about it in Enterprise. He loses <laughs> his nose in a duel, allegedly over a disagreement about a math equation. So that, yep. Nerd. Nerd. Although Tycho Brahe's nose was brass. It was not silver. Oh, okay. Well, I guess he had like multiple noses that he would wear for different occasions because mm-hmm. brass is very heavy. And so it's not really practical for every day. The only other thing I can think about in weird noses is the absence of nose because Odo cannot make a nose. It's true. You know what's weird about that is that Odo's like kind of billed as, as not on the same level as other changelings and his shape-shifting ability. So, like, that's why his face looks the way it does is because he has a hard time mimicking faces. Mm -hmm. But then when we see changelings in other contexts, their default shape that they kind of go to is is a humanoid Odo face. (laughs) That's only so we could recognize them. That's Mm it, man. (laughs) I suppose so. Although I think we did note that others are slightly better at it than Odo. Yeah. And well, a lot better because they infiltrated like all the things, all of the governments, yeah. and assumed positions of authority. Yeah, really, their their default is actually golden puddle. So yes, but I think that's why. I think that could be why it's difficult to mimic certain organs that you don't need. And Odo's not breathing like he inside. He's not mimicking lungs. Like he, he's only projecting an external. Or external yeah. phenotypes, right? He's like so he he's so busy making clothes that why would he make lungs on the inside? Right. So he since he's not breathing, breathing, and as we've talked about before, his whole body's a lung. He's breathing right. with everything. He can do gas exchange with the whole thing. Yeah, just just passive diffusion. That I don't think he really understands the all of the fine scale things that need to happen to make mm. a nose, and so it's it's harder to focus on that. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. 
any other weird noses we could think about? What? Tell us about an Andorian nose. Is there any? Oh <laughs> there is. Gosh. There is. There's, a... there's just a nose. That's just a nose. It's blue, but it's a nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelpian noses look like cow noses. Oh, and there's that guy with the teapot nose. Oh yeah, good yeah. old teapot nose. We Which, forgot about yeah, him. I have no idea what that's for, or how it works, or what I do. I think we were debating about like extra uh, blood supply. Mm. Oh yeah, that's right. Maybe. Yeah. That's not really a nose thing. That's really a circulation thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Nobody <laughs> knows. <laughs> we can end on that. Yeah, we must. We oh, have gosh. to. We're we're done. <laughs> we're, we're about to do crimes. I think. <laughs> so, thank you for tolerating that. If you like this episode, <laughs> please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app, and especially if you're using Apple, please, 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 please rate us five stars and leave us a review so other people can find us if you liked it if you didn't like it you know forget i brought it up you know the drill you can follow us on instagram at spinal frontier pod and on twitter at spinal frontier we're always looking forward to your comments and questions we also want to thank our fellow podcaster jeff aiken of the starfleet leadership academy for inviting us to talk with him as part of the trek for ukraine fundraiser for the british red cross crisis aid and shout out to the hosts of the clone star podcast for organizing the event with so many incredible folks we're so grateful to be part of the star trek podcast community okay thanks for listening okay honey you can press play <laughs>